I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. What is up, everyone? Happy Thanksgiving week. I'm sure a lot of you are traveling this week. So if you are tuning in, thank you so much for being here. I know once it gets around the holidays, you can sometimes fall off of your everyday routines, all the podcast books, etc. So thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the Pop Podcast. I'm back with another very special guest and I met him through a mutual friend, which is how I get a lot of my guests. But He and I had a really authentic conversation over matcha, and I knew that he needed to be on the podcast for many reasons, but this episode is just such a good reminder that when you really tune into your intuition and you go after the things that are aligned to you and feel good to you, no matter how they feel to the people around you or what other opinions are out there, it's really up to you to pursue what is meant for you and your destiny. So I have the fabulous Waylon Tate on the podcast. He is the founder of JWA PR and marketing here in DFW. It is a full PR agency. And the biggest thing that I learned, which I think is super unique about him, is that he is not part of any sort of niche. So he never was specific in one area of PR. He has celebrities. He's done people on reality TV. He's got lawyers, doctors. He does all sort of food and bev is another one. He has so many different industries, which I feel is very authentic to who he is as a person and also makes him stand out in a sea of PR agencies, not only here in Dallas, but across the country. So we dive into so many things. I mean, this episode is jam-packed with so much information and a lot of aha moments, which is something that he touches a little bit on how to really step into a more true, abundant life and what he means by that. Trusting your intuition is the biggest theme of this entire episode and so much more. So if you're someone that is looking to get into PR, we touch a little bit on that. And as always, these conversations go deep and are very true and authentic towards each and every guest. So I hope you enjoy Waylon. He is very entertaining. And without further ado, happy Thanksgiving and let's get right into the episode. Okay, so we're starting there. Fellowship during the Obama administration. Obama administration. Yeah. Take it from there. Wow. Uh, Probably (laughs) one of the biggest experiences, both personally and professionally, in my entire life. Uh, Just by way of being a a student at the University of Texas at Dallas, I was provided with the opportunity to apply for and would later be accepted into a a pretty prestigious fellowship that led me to D.C. for an entire semester with 31 other really interesting people. Uh, And it's, you know, it's interesting because my entire plan of action kind of shifted during this, this period specifically Uh, in that I had, I was finishing a, an undergrad in public affairs. Mm -hmm. I had every ambition to go to work for a nonprofit, uh, an NGO, um, bigger dreams for, you know, working 
with maybe the World Health Organization or you know even an embassy, right? In in that route, but that wasn't the plan that yeah. came out of it. But you know, when you're in a situation where you spend day in and day out with 31 other people that are working in various avenues of the government, and to see the remarkable work that takes place that you that the general public would never see, to have kind of an insider view of you know, how the wheels really turn in D.C. Mm-hmm. was pretty amazing and pretty profound. Yeah. And it left me, when I returned to Dallas to start my master's program in public policy, it left an impression on me in a way that I just kind of solidified my original idea that I really wanted to work in public policy in some way. But the world had a different idea for me. You mentioned that the general public didn't see when I think of DC I immediately go to scandal which I know is probably a show that a lot no, of people absolutely. the hustle and bustle the grind the backstabbing if you will are there a few examples that you can share with the audience on things that you saw that maybe the general public didn't see that would make a different impression or shift their perspective on what DC is and what really goes on behind the scenes absolutely I mean working in PR you know being a publicist I you know, I'm a fixer in many ways myself, yeah. much like, uh, you know, the character on Scandal, the show. But on a brighter note, um, the things that I saw while I was there that the general public doesn't see because of the nature of the 24-hour news cycle and the more salacious and scandalous, the more airtime is going to get, is the amount of ambition and drive mm. that these, you know, young students and kind of first-year you know, policy drivers contribute to the actual outcome of legislation. I saw, you know, firsthand on both sides of the equation, you know, people with a a true desire for change, whatever Mm -hmm. that change may look like, that you don't see, right? Because it's not pretty. It's not fancy enough to be on TV. They want the fights and, you know, the, the grunge work inside of the DC echo chamber. But, but, you know, firsthand, I was able to see the amount of work that goes into things that will never come to fruition. I specifically worked with an organization called GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. And their entire, like their basis for existence really was to provide safe spaces for kids in schools. And I, you know, by being a, a part of that organization for the time that I was there, I was able to see the amount of work that it takes to push through legislation, right? And getting to go to each of those congressmen or the, you know, the members of Congress, their offices and, and try to push, right? Yeah. Because it's all about perspective and, and but the, the amount of passion that I saw again on both yeah. sides of the equation was, was pretty profound and uh, inspiring in some ways. And, you know, but also at the same time created this empty space or a vacuum, if you will, because you knew that they were going to, spend so much time working on something that just wouldn't come to fruition yeah it's hard to stomach that when you put so much work into something it is and that is the united states congress and that's exactly how it works and we hear this right from all sides that it's at gridlock and it's because there are so many competing interests yeah uh at, at the political level that what gets lost in that mix is the actual good policy that people are wanting to do yeah Mm -hmm. you alluded that your path you thought you were going to go into public policy and then it took a different direction. It did. What did, what do you mean by that? Meaning that I came back from that fellowship again, amped up and and ready to just, you know, drive it home, started my master's program in public policy at, at the university of Texas at Dallas, incredible program. 
And I believe it was probably my last maybe semester, I had the opportunity to do a capstone project. And what mm-hmm. I decided to, to do was create a Citizens Prosecutor Academy for the local district attorney's office here in Dallas, in Dallas County, which may not sound like uh, anything big, but the DA's office in Dallas County, I believe, is the sixth largest in the entire country. Huge, 400 prosecutors. It's a, it's a massive, massive office. And at the time, Craig Watkins, the first African-American elected DA in the entire state of Texas, was in office, and which is significant. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. Yes. But I created this academy where we brought in 40 regular citizens for a 12-week program, and they would come in every single week for two hours, and they would learn about a different aspect of the criminal justice system, right? Which seems like it would be right in in line with what I was wanting to do, and it was to some degree. But what ended up happening ultimately was when Mr. Watkins left office and someone else came in, you know, I was on at that point kind of in an administrative position, you know, high up on the 11th floor, they would say, right? The, yeah. the higher you go, the, the more uh, power, I guess, you have. Not that I had any, but I had access yeah. to power. And so I knew that my time there was gone as someone else was coming in. And I thought, what do I do now, right? Do I get a cush, cush, you know, communications job and make my six figures and live the rest of my life? Or do I take all of this incredible industrial knowledge in the communication side of things and open my own firm. And if I never make another good decision, that was the one to make because it led me in a very, very different direction. How did you find the courage at that time to go off and launch your own thing in the midst of a lot of uncertainty of where you wanted to go and also being relatively young getting out of a master program I mean, you're still in your early 20s mm-hmm. I, yes um I feel like I'm still in my early 20s yeah, and, you are uh, don't yeah. look a day over 21 um, <laughs> I've never used that line before either so <laughs> uh it was I, I would like to say there was probably some gut instinct I think oh, um God. that you, you kind of have to follow and I think the older you get the easier it is to follow mm-hmm. um, that gut instinct for me, it was, you know, the the months leading up to, you know, the end of the year, which is when, you know, the new, it's, it's kind of like out with the old, in with the new, yeah. as it works in elected offices. I had a lot of soul searching to do, right? And was it something, like I said, that I wanted to go into, you know, with my experience and my education, it wouldn't have been a difficult thing to get into, you know, a, a mid-level position in communications really anywhere because of what I had done and the experiences that we had had and the you know, the amount of contacts that I had in my bag. But something deep down inside of me said, I don't really want to work for anybody, you know? Yeah. And and I think it was probably even deeper than that. I, I think I knew that I would be able to kind of command my own ship and and really lead myself and, you know, what would come a staff in, uh, in a direction that was led by me and only me, meaning that positions that I'd been in before, there were things that I wanted to do. But, you know, when you take that up the chain of command and those things aren't going to be made possible, I didn't want to be in that situation anymore. And win or fail, I was going to do it. And that's probably speaks to kind of the nature of my upbringing um, and just being kind of a gutsy guy all the time. But I I, but I did. And yeah, and good thing I did, um, because, you know, here we are. What do you mean by your nature and your personality? Are there certain things looking back on your life that you 
now know about yourself that led you down this path of owning your own business? Absolutely. Mine was never a, a journey of perfection by any means. I grew up in a pretty small, conservative, you know, uh, Texas town. I had the quintessential kind of like Texas boy life, you know, living on uh, on a pretty big uh, amount of property and, um, you know, just playing with my cousins, you know, in the fields and things like that. It was great. But the detriment to that was, you know, not being able to fully express myself in the way yeah. that I needed to express myself um, to be authentic and a fully realized human being. I got that opportunity. Obviously, I left, I think, probably two weeks after I graduated and moved, you know, to San Marcos to start school. But, you know, at, at that point, I kind of took stock of my situation and I was finally in a place where I could be fluid and I could be truly who I was. Right. Because it was a, a much more open minded, mm -hmm. uh, airy environment for me. Which really led me to take off some time from school, kind of find myself, move to Los Angeles, I think at 21 years old with yeah. no job, no place to live, um, to find myself, you know, and those are those moments are really kind of what start defining you at that early age, like, okay, if I can do that, and it doesn't kill me, what else can I do, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I can see, you know, those those moments kind of pop up throughout my life of, that I was going to be willing to take the risk regardless of the outcome, which plays a, a significant factor in every entrepreneur's experience, right? You have to be willing to bet it all. You have to be willing to jump off the cliff and see what happens. You mentioned soul searching and then you mentioned finding yourself. And I want to take a pause here because I talk a lot about going inward. Mm -hmm that's where things start to brew, whether it's creativity and you really start to tune into that intuition. For the audience out there, I want you to be very authentic and open about what exactly you did in terms of soul searching and finding yourself. I know it's not an easy path, but I think it's so important for people to realize the risks that you took in order to get where you are today. Sure. You know, probably first and foremost, you have to like you said, look within and kind of understand what makes you and what you, who you really are and what you want to accomplish, both professionally and, and, you know, in your private life as well. For me, it was always a case of uh, wanting to be above the fold. I never had felt stunted in any way, but I knew that I'd always created my own opportunities. Uh, nothing was handed to me. There was no silver, you know, <laughs> none of that. There was no yeah. silver spoon, any of those kind of things. But I think it made me stronger, much, mm -hmm. much stronger. And when it comes to soul searching, it, it's such an overused, you know, yeah. type of uh, saying and truly like a Southern colloquialism, right? That you've got a soul search and this you know magical fairy tale of like from point a to point b and you know get, you get your gold at the end of the rainbow all of that kind of stuff but soul searching is is something that really needs to be done on the daily i think because as you navigate your life through ebbs and flows there are a number of obstacles that you have to overcome and every one of those moments is an opportunity for you to step back see yourself from a very different vantage point and go does this really align with you know, my own beliefs, how I feel about the world, how I want to present to the world, right? And just like everyone else, I think that those things change often. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, and this is kind of where I get frustrated when people talk about soul searching, especially in terms of development, again, professionally and personally, is because it's not, there's not an aha moment, 
right? There are many, many aha mm-hmm. moments because there are a lot of lessons to learn. Yeah. And it's not, there. there's not one that is going to be the turnkey to having a successful and abundant life. It's a, a series of steps and looking inward and going, does this decision, what is the outcome of this going to be? And how could that affect me later on? Right. Mm-hmm. And do I feel okay with that in, you know, in a gut kind of sense? What are things that you do in your daily life to come back to that intuition and come back to that grounded place? I've gotten really, really good at listening to my, my inner voice and my inner thoughts. And I, I navigate this a lot when it comes to clients. I, during the pandemic, I fired seven of them because it was an incredibly toxic relationship with, with some yeah. of the clients that I had before. So I take that into consideration now what is going to make me happy and yeah. i think really at the end of the day is at a you know i'm 45 years old now i just turned 45 in september you start understanding that time is really like the mm-hmm. biggest commodity that you have i've done very well financially you know and and all of that but it's much less important to me now and time is much more important to me and what do i do with it and who do i spend that time with right and that extends outside of my personal life, right? If if the clients that I have, I spend a ton of time on the phone with them in constant communication with them, really developing the plans of action for their own business. But that becomes a very personal relationship yeah. uh, when you're speaking with them. So if I'm not happy with, you know, the way I'm interacting with a particular client, then chances are they aren't either. And, yeah. and it's probably to the best you know, it's probably best that we we both kind of reevaluate that relationship and make some, you know, significant changes. How did you grow kind of circling back on the PR track? So you decided that you were going to go jump into the deep end and start this PR agency. After that point, how did you kind of get to where you are today? And I know there's going to be a lot in there from, yeah. you know, it's been not too long, but yeah. you put in some work. So for the audience out there, I guess my first question to you is like, what exactly is PR for those people? Because honestly, I am, am new-ish to it. Okay. Let me answer this in about 10 parts. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> to answer the first part of your question, look, I worked at the DA's office in the communications department. Yeah. Um, my specific function was community like management, right? Mm-hmm. To understand how everyone in, in the county kind of... Uh, interacted with the DA's office, but it was a a heavy communications position. Did I know a lot about PR then, what we consider public relations in its truest sense, which is probably the the marriage of the public with the media? Absolutely not. I mean, I I was a very good writer. I've always kind of prided myself on writing. I was very organized. I loved developing narratives Mm -hmm. uh, and things of that nature. But when it came to the ins of out, in and outs of what actual public relations was, I couldn't have been, you know, more clueless, which was probably exciting to me because I was jumping into an avenue where I was going to get to continue to learn myself, right? And develop a whole new, like, set of skills, which is exactly what I did. The the thing that was in my corner, whenever I took that jump and, and kind of leap of faith, I had a developed roster of media relations, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Relationships, right? I knew editors, I knew producers for shows. Uh, both locally and, you know, coast to coast, because we had incredible opportunities with that particular elected official 
that just put me in place with, you know, some mm-hmm. pretty big heavyweights in, in the media world. But what do you do then? Right. I yeah. open the doors to my first office. I'm there. I believe I had two clients to begin with. Hey, it's better than none. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky for those, you know, that kind of saw something within me. And yeah. I really relied on relationships that I had outside of the media world who was like, you know what? I have a colleague that's really needing some help with this. Can you do it? And I was like, absolutely, I can do it. Knowing inside, I was going to have to learn how, how to, to do, do it. it. Yeah. As I was doing it. Um, which is really the best way to do it, yeah. right? There's no textbook, no amount of experience that you can have that really prepares you for a role you've never done, right? Until you're doing it and in the middle of doing it. But the further that I got into it, I was like, okay, I really have an act for this, right? Yeah. In that communication was kind of, it was always something that came natural to me mm-hmm. with with friends and family and meeting new people. I was always kind of, a bubbly person. I'd love to be in front of people and around people and meet new people and make other people feel really good. And at the end of the day, PR is very much about that, right? You want to make the editors feel good about the pieces that are going to run. You want the television producers to go that 30 second segment is going to, you know, get me an Emmy or whatever the case is. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's always been for me, since opening my own agency, a situation of calling myself a storyteller, like publicist is a pretty term uh, that people associate with, you know, sex in the city or (laughs) scandal. Yeah, love Um, scandal. Love scandal, me too. Oh, such a good show. But we're really storytellers. You know, that's what we do. We tell our client stories to as many people as will listen. What do you feel you do differently than other PR agencies that makes you stand out to both your clients and the outside world? That's a really good question. And the simplest answer is probably I I never went, I was never going to create a niche environment for myself. Ooh. Um, yes. I had, Why? Because I had friends that were in the industry that said, if you don't stick to just food and beverage, or if you don't stick to just representing attorneys or doctors you will die on the vine because it it becomes so convoluted if you try to have a variety of industries in your firm and I said well then let me die on the vine but I'm not (laughs) going to talk about the same subject matter all day every day for the rest of my life I would be bored to tears right I don't want to talk about just politics I don't want to talk about just business I don't want to talk about you know just wine or you know food or entertainment or venues or celebrities you know what have you I needed a variety in my life, you know, and that's kind of what what led me in a different direction. And I think what defines my agency from a lot of others in Dallas is that most are very boutique niche Mm. agencies. If you want, if you are representing or if you're needing representation and you're a construction company, there's a certain, you know, agency that you go with. If you're just in food and beverage and you think that's all you need you go with a you know an agency that represents mostly just food and beverage. And I never wanted to do that. And I think that it's actually played very successful to the work that we've done with all of my clients collectively, because think about it. We're able to take brainstorming ideas that we have done for a client in the food and beverage space and apply those to a client that is an author or a mm-hmm. musician or, you know, you're able to play around with the different dynamics. If you are an agency and you have 30 clients that are all restaurants, how are you going to create, you know, 
dynamic campaigns all in the same space for 30 different people every day. It's next to impossible, in my opinion. There are great agencies out there that have done spectacular jobs doing that. It was never going to be my reality. I, I needed a lot of kind of managed chaos going on, and I needed to be able to spin different kinds of plates. This can apply to multiple different areas. And while I do want a disclaimer, if you will, I do think kind of like to a restaurant, like for an example, if you're really good at one thing, spreading elsewhere is not usually the best move always. I know, for example, one of my friends is like, I went to Hudson House. I love it. They had a different restaurant. She didn't love, love it as much. Mm-hmm. In that case, it's like, okay, stick to what you're really good at. But this is something that, and you and I talked about this with the podcast, everyone said like, you have to have a niche, you have to do this. And I listened to my gut and I was like, I just felt like there's this health and wellness side of me. And then there's this entrepreneurship. And you were the first one that was like, they're not mutually exclusive, but it's so easy to let outside opinions kind of tell you. But I just knew that in my heart, like what I do in my business would not be possible without what I what I do outside of it in terms of like health and wellness and fitness. And so it didn't make sense to me. Advice for people out there who are wanting to get into something new, whether it's PR, whether it's a podcast, it doesn't matter what it is on not being too close minded on this quote unquote niche that you have to fulfill. Sure. Uh, About 10 years ago, I started teaching uh, a class at a local college um, and I would go back and forth between a federal government class and a Texas government class which is great because I know a lot about both. But the interaction that I had with the students was remarkable. Every single semester, it was just so nice to learn from them. Mm -hmm. You know, I continued to learn. But something that I would always tell them is, why are you here? I would ask them, like, literally, why are you here? Not in this class. Why are you in school, right? What is the outcome that you're expecting? And most of them, you know, if I kind of ask them to tear themselves on on what their expectations were and what they really wanted out of the education the top one was always money right and i said you're thinking about things from the wrong perspective it shouldn't you don't go after the money you go after what's going to get you up at 5 a.m every day and you're going to be passionate about it for the next 12 hours the money will find its way to you right but you have to be passionate about what you do I think the same thing could be applied to anyone listening that is trying to decide what their gift is or or, or what they want to do or spend the rest of their life doing. It can't be, you can't be on the money chase game. Realistically, everyone has to pay their bills, understandably so. (laughs) But I think this is where the term was probably coined like the side hustle, right? And until your side hustle can become your full-time gig, you make time for it and you become dedicated to that. But the majority of people that we encounter, I see so much talent on the daily and so much talent that will never become fully realized because they're too afraid to take that step, to put their toe in the water and go, is this something I could really do? Because we've been ingrained really Mm -hmm. to believe that you have to have a nine to five job, you have to have a 401k, you have that sustainability and uh, kind of digging, you know, your feet deep into the foundation of like planting seeds for being able to take care of yourself for the rest of your life. Those things have been so ingrained in our in our brain that it has manifested the fear of stepping out and going, maybe that doesn't have to be the life for me. Maybe I can be mm-hmm. successful in other ways. And you see this with literally the top 10 richest people in the world don't have educations, right? They don't. They didn't go to college or get masters or PhDs. 
they followed something that they knew they were a good at yeah that they believed in themselves and that they could literally see the outcome of of you know incredible success they were their own biggest fans and their biggest cheerleaders they weren't caught in this idea that they had to fit into this cookie cutter operation that we call, you know, the workforce in the States. It's not that way everywhere. I'm sure, yeah. you know, well-traveled outside of the U S people don't really have the same mindset that we do here. I have many, many thoughts about why that is the way that it is. We can yeah. say for another you know, <laughs> podcast, but I know that, you know, people that are out there listening to this podcast right now, something is sparking inside of them yeah. And it immediately takes them to that place of like, I've always wanted to open my own bakery or I've always wanted to write children's books or whatever the case is. But for some reason, it's the vast majority of people will never take that step from conception and idea to actual programming, right? And, And move forward into their dream. And it's, it's really defeating to me as a, you know, somebody that works in PR to be encountered with people that have so much inside of them and but they're terrified to like move to the next level and take the first step what advice would you give someone that's terrified on just pushing through that i would ask them to think of the alternative and to think of the fear that they would have 30 years from now going Mm -hmm. i can't believe that i wasted 30 years of my life doing something i really wasn't happy with because i was afraid to do something that i was really happy with for me, it's always that's, that's always going to be the case in any you know question. And clients call me and they're like, "Should we do this? Should we not?" And I'm like, "Well, what's the alternative, right? What is the what is the other you know outcome going to be?" Mm-hmm. And if the only thing that is holding you back is fear, you should really be fearful of complacency, yeah, right, or not fulfilling your own destiny. That should be the biggest fear you always have. People always recover. People always bounce back. They find their way back to you know, the source, which again could be its own other podcast, right? But maybe I've I've lived my own life and experiences through that mantra of I'm not going to let fear itself keep me from finding my own happiness and joy. It's a hard shift, but what you just nailed is the alternative and that's something that I... Anytime I have an idea or there's something that kind of blocks it or I see something doing someone similar or whatever it is, I always come back to that. What's the alternative? Or is what I'm doing right now worse than this other outcome? And nine times out of ten it is. Like the fear of having to do this for the rest of my life or that. And so that's what keeps pushing me. And I think it's a good reminder for the audience that if there's something at the top of your mind and even there's something that hopefully – in the near future, I'll be able to talk more about it. But there's something that came to me the other day. And once the idea popped into my brain, the small action steps to get there were very tactical for the most part. It's a lot of relationship Mm -hmm. building, reaching out to the people that you know in your network and just doing those basic steps and getting a good touch point of like, hey, is this something that could potentially come to fruition? Mm -hmm. The worst case scenario is it's like, it can't, but maybe it goes this direction. And that's the worst case scenario. I feel like I've never, not never, but there's very few times I've heard of someone that's really wanted to do something and put in the work or taken those Mm -hmm. action steps and nothing ever came of it. Like it's usually something, it's a lot different maybe, but at least there's some sort of product or vision that comes to life in front of you. 
there's a meme that I always kind of remind myself of, and I have it saved on my phone, and I've actually used this meme is several times when talking to clients and it's actually from it's a line I believe from from a book or maybe a movie I can't remember but the meme goes it, it's an image of kind of like a mountain as they all are right yeah. all of the good memes and the first sentence is oh but what if I fail and the second sentence is but what if I fly right and it's always going to be that situation yeah like, and that's really what dif- differentiates real success, because if we talk about success, it doesn't have as much to do with finance and resources as it has to do with fulfillment, right? And I think once we shift the way we think about success and how we define success, more people would realize that they are truly successful than than not, right? And it may be easier for them to move in a direction of what they would clearly define as success in their own lives. Listen, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. So, of course, at the end of the day, for me, you know, a lot of times that has to do with how successful are the businesses that I own, how successful are the people that are working with Mm -hmm. me and their own goals and dreams. But at the same time, I measure my success in how well am I sleeping, right? Do I get up and am I in a good mood, right? Do I make time to give back to people that haven't been in in many ways blessed as blessed as I have been right um I constantly push myself to really redefine my own idea of success and I encourage friends of mine all the time to do that I have a lot of friends who are attorneys and doctors and they make a ton of money and they are absolutely the most miserable people I've ever met and self-defined. They'll tell you, I hate my job. I hate what I do. I'm billing 80 hours a week. This is not what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I hear that all the time. This is not what I thought it would be because they've been painted this pretty picture of what does it mean to be a successful doctor or a successful lawyer. And that's seeing, you know, the really pretty house and, you know, driving the expensive cars and, you know, the European vacations But what they don't see is that is a miserable existence in an office going through briefs for 80 hours a week, right? Does that sound like an appealing life to you? It doesn't to me. Yeah. Uh, You know, and again, I think even in those situations, and I have had friends that have left their own careers, very successful, lucrative careers um, in search, like on this journey, right? The the eat, love, pray journey of what what are the next chapters of my own life, life mm-hmm. right? And I really wish that in some way we, and I think we are kind of on the the beginning of this, the pandemic and the lockdown specifically, like during yeah. quarantine, shifted in many, many ways. I think the way that we collectively mm-hmm. uh, look at the world, look at our own lives, look at what brings us happiness and and really have kind of given ourselves a new identity of sorts of saying, I, I don't want to go back to the way things were, mm-hmm. right? I want to move in a direction that I'm able to find abundant happiness and joy in my daily life. And that wasn't the way it was before. That was not the nine to five, yeah. which is why you're seeing this max exodus of people yeah. out of the workforce that are starting their own gigs because they're like, look, like, again, what is the alternative? Am I going to con- go back to being mm-hmm. in an office space for 40 hours a week and clocking out for lunch and clocking back in and, you know, whatever the case is. No, like, you know, people are done with that way of being. And hopefully we finally 
catch up with the rest of the world that understands that your time spent out of work is just as important, if not more important than the time that you're spending in work, right? People are always saying that Americans live to work, yeah. right? And Europeans work to live, yeah. right? They're going to do what they need to do to get by, but they're going to enjoy and celebrate their lives in a way that Americans just blows their mind. Like they're, you know, holiday is such a foreign idea to, you know, Americans, but to the rest of the world, it's like, no, it's, it's mind blowing to them that we would only get off one day. Yeah. Or, or two days. Yeah. Or two weeks a year. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, it's just insane. Yeah. This is my uh, Ted talk too. <laughs> I saw something on social media that kind of didn't alarm me, but kind of I guess in PR, but I want to get your opinion on this. Sure. It's Saul or the poster, the meme or whatever this person was talking about that they were sharing all of the negative or qualities or things that go into entrepreneurship. Like people always think kind of like you alluded to with the doctor, like they see the house, they see the car, they don't see the challenges. And while I understand where that person is coming from, I also really wanted to challenge that point because for me, there's success is defined kind of like like in fulfillment and I think that people look at things like this is harder this is hard and for me it's harder to sit in something and be miserable than is to go out there and maybe work a little bit harder or try different things or have to learn something brand new like you did with PR for people out there that are wanting to become entrepreneurs and they're getting this kind of information or they see like, oh, it's super hard or, oh, you don't realize all the hustle. Like it's not easy, easy. You shouldn't do it. What would you say to that energy and like that person? Because I never, I just can't with that. Like I saw that and I was like, why would you put such a negative con? I understand that it's not easy, but I'm like from someone that's been doing it for 20 years mm-hmm. and you're sitting here like, okay, I'm happy. What would you tell that person that's seeing that information and is maybe thinking about becoming an entrepreneur? I would tell them that, first of all, their experience is not your experience. And every entrepreneur goes through their own trials and tribulations. But, you know, based on the way they approach uh, whatever kind of business it is that they want to be in, everything comes from intention, Mm -hmm. right? Which kind of speaks back to what I was saying about what I tell my students, right? Your intention should never be to make a lot of money. Your intention should be to be happy, right? And again, I'm telling you, I've seen, I have had at this point hundreds of clients and I'm telling you the ones who enter the equation looking for joy or fulfillment are the ones that vastly succeed. The ones who entered the equation to make a lot of money have fallen off because they are finding no joy in what they're doing because it's not something they want to do. Yeah. They want to make a lot of money. So for someone that's coming into the world or really considering the world of entrepreneurship, I would tell them this. Listen to podcasts like this <laughs> that are, you know, honestly talking to people that have been through the gamut, but not with like these ridiculous, like, you know, one, two, three applications. I can't stand them. I listen to podcasts all the time and you have to be relatable to your yeah. audience, right? Which is something I really appreciate about this podcast. But I would tell them that the journey is going to be what you make of it mm-hmm. to manage your expectations. It's not going to be, you know, rainbows and butterflies all day. Every day. But no job is. So like keep that in mind. (laughs) Absolutely. That you have to understand that you're just applying a different, you know, asset to to the journey. Mm -hmm. And I would ask them, what do you do when you get up to go to work every day now? Are you giving it your all? Probably not. 
You know why? Because you're thinking of it as a nine to five. You're you're clocking in and you're clocking out. But in the world of entrepreneurship, it is that is never going to be the case. You're giving it 150% of yourself yeah. because you are your job, yeah. right? It's it's a whole different world. It's always a trade-off. There's always a compromise. But whenever I see stuff like that, and I know I always lean towards more optimism or, or positive, but it just kind of makes me sad because I think that type of stuff deters people from going after their dreams. Mm-hmm. And when I see it, I'm like, okay, well, you're kind of gatekeeping. And I don't know if like, I think you and I did talk about this of you're, you're kind of putting out this negative energy because you don't want people to try to go after what you do. And it's like every, there's space for everyone. If you put in the effort, you do the work and you have the right intention energy. And so when I see that, it just like makes me frustrated because I think there's a lot of people and I've talked with a lot of people at my corporate jobs that I've seen potential in them, but there's fear or they think it's going to be too hard or I've been told not everyone can do it. And I'm like, you're never going to know until you try, just like you tried sports, just like you tried eating different foods. Like there's so many things that you have to try to know if you're good at and you hit the nail on the head at the beginning of this like you found in your very first business which is lucky something that you're skilled at something that comes naturally and something that you're willing to work at how can someone find or know that this is something that they're naturally skilled at and it comes pretty intuitive to them I would tell them to embrace the imposter I hear this all the time that people that are in their first year of uh, entrepreneurship, they develop an imposter syndrome, right? Like, how yeah. did I actually create this? How did I, you know, uh, people come to me as a thought leader and I don't really know what I'm talking about. No, people are drawn to you for mm-hmm. some reason, right? Like, lean into the imposter of, 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 of whatever um, it is that you're doing. Because regardless of where you're at or what you're doing, it's, it's always going to be a game of learning. Mm-hmm. all the time and you know too many times I think people with really incredible talent are, are so afraid of being seen by their peers as something that they're not that they don't actually accept it's like people who don't take compliments right yeah, it's the same thing I know and it's it's disturbing because it's like no like r- embrace yourself yeah. right and no one goes into entrepreneurship knowing everything that they need to know it just doesn't exist. If they did, they wouldn't need companies like mine, right? Yeah. Or really good CPAs or really good attorneys or you know whatever the case is. Like this trifecta of, of an yeah. entrepreneur and the people that you need to surround yourself with. I, I'm trying to think of several clients you know, that have come to me and just, we used to represent a bakery, uh, a really, really good bakery that was in just outside of the Bishop Arts District. Incredibly compelling story, Three Sisters, that had kind of used their mom's namesake as the narrative for their story. And within a year, we had them, you know, in the top, you know, 10 bakeries in the country and big magazine and all that kind of good stuff. But they were never confident in themselves, you know, and to their own detriment. I think that they knew they had a good product. Yeah. But they kind of separated that from them being good entrepreneurs. And I said, they were, they're one and the same. You're the one who's actually creating the brand. You're creating the product. People are going to be more interested in you than, you know, the, the products that you're creating. That is honestly the truth, Erin. It yeah. is, and you see this a lot in the influencer world. I've told you before, I hate that word. It yeah. just, it makes my skin crawl. But people that have influence maybe, and have had a lot of influence and, you know, find themselves in a position of having a lot of followers, their voice is important because, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. Exactly. Right? People don't buy into products they buy into lifestyles they buy into 
personalities. Yeah. Right? This is the Kardashian effect. Like, people aren't interested in anything that they do. They're interested in who they are. Yeah. Their personalities. I'm not one of them. But, you know, the same can be said from anybody else. Like, I am constantly on TikTok, you know, just checking things out. And I'm like, what makes this person so compelling? Right? It's nothing that they're doing. It's the way they're interacting with their audience. And I'll tell you, I don't care if you are, uh, you know, entering the world of entrepreneurship as a first-year yoga instructor and you're trying to build out a studio or a following, you know, to come in and learn from you. Or if you are a first-time author and you're trying to, like, sell your book to market. What you need to understand is that people are drawn to other people. We live in a peer environment where... They want to be interested in or learn something from someone that excites them. You know, mm-hmm. TikTok sparked during the pandemic for that very reason. We yeah. wanted to, you know, something to resonate with us while we were all in lockdown. So we navigated towards people that either brought us excitement, we learned something from them, or we saw something in ourselves that was in them and said, could I be like that? And it sparked this frenzy of, of, and delightfully so, of really upping the ante with the number of influencers that exist. Because they all have stories to tell. I yeah. think I told you this the other day, like one of my favorite things is, um, or one of the favorite things that I've ever heard kind of along my own journey of communication and PR is when Oprah ended her show and, yeah. you know, she was being interviewed herself and she said, or she was asked, you know, out of everyone you've interviewed, out of all the things you've heard, what is the most important lesson that you have learned as an interviewer? And she said that everyone just wants to be heard. Mm-hmm. They want to know, is what I'm saying to you important? Does what I say mean something to you? And and it's so true. At the end of the day, Aaron, when you pull all of the layers back, every vertical back, you take off the masks that we put on every day to try to fulfill society's expectations of who we are, what it really boils down to is we're all just beings that need to be validated yeah. in some way, right? And that applies so heavily to entrepreneurship because the very essence of what you're doing, it just has to resonate with someone else. Yeah. Again, whether you're baking cookies or, you know, you're creating clothing or jewelry, it's like it, they, they want to understand, they want to bring that product or that service into their own lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's honestly the key. There's there's no magic, you know, it's like the emperor's wearing no clothes, right? There there is no one, two, three function that makes it work. Yeah. You just gotta go back to the very granular level of understanding that the reason the reason things sell, the reason th- people that buy things is because they want to feel something. Thing. Yeah. And I was just thinking about this too, that every single entrepreneur that I've spoken with built a business for a solution of a problem that they were having. And that's on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. It's some sort of emotion of I'm annoyed by this. Or even for me, it's when someone gave me advice and the idea popped in my head, it was based off of a problem that I found in my own life that I knew that someone else could resonate with. And so it's that emotional connection that people connect to. And it's all about, I think the pandemic kind of you know separated us. We all literally couldn't be with each other. But through social media, and I think that's why influencing if you will has done so well is because you trust these people and before that it's like you would go into a store you would hope for the best but you didn't have this direct access into people I think there's a lot of good I do think there's some bad into that because we do have continuous access which I think 
can has caused problems. Um, but I just thought of that while you were saying that because a lot of people birth things, if you will, or create ideas based off of a personal emotion that they have and then selling it as validation. Like, Hey, I'm not the only one that's feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And this is my masterpiece to like solve that feeling. Yeah. And I think that it doesn't always have to be about fulfilling a solution or, or, um, creating an answer to a question or a solution to a problem. I think that many times what it is, is creating uh, the answer or solution that may have already been defined in your own way. Again, because, you know, when people are going to... Give an example. Uh, if I'm looking to find fulfillment, yeah, am I going to do it the way Deepak Chopra does it? Am I going to do it the way that, you know, any other guru does it? How am I going to do it? Yeah. Right? Because his solution may not be their solution. And I think that's what we've seen it's kind of this springboard of people providing their own perspective based mm -hmm. on their own experiences uh, to solutions that have already kind of been defined. But it's like, how am I making that my own? Yeah. Right. Because for so long we were just fed media by what by the greats. Right. Yeah. Of however that was. And now we're, we're in such a different world and a mm -hmm. time and space where we don't. We're not, we are actually driving the conversation rather than receiving yeah. what has been, what we've been told for so many years we need to receive. And I think that's threatening to a lot of things, even in, you know, the, the business that I work in, in, in media that, you know, kind of, like I said, the greats that were at the very top, right? Like the cable news and, and, and yeah. the affiliates were, were always able to scope the narrative. This is what we need them to know. Yeah. Where now people like yourself are able to offer other solutions yeah. to receiving information and i think that's incredibly terrifying what i the the, out, the good outcome that i think you'll see is that it's not we're never going back to the way that it used to yeah. be and i think that we're going to see a great shift over the next you know three to five years in the way that media in itself is even consumed yeah you know which i'm really happy to see yeah. um there's a there are you know goods and bads that are going to come from that. I mean, I think we experience some of those now with vetting and stuff like that, yeah. uh, news sources. But but I think that we're seeing positive things that take place because we're able to find connective tissue yeah. to, you know, absorb and receive the kind of information that we want to receive that inspires us and drives us. Yeah. It's which, more relatable, too. I think you can relate to someone that's not like a huge name mm -hmm. or that's and that's what this whole podcast was kind of founded on was like yeah. all these everyday ordinary people like these are stories that you can connect to and ideas that you can execute on mm -hmm. and it's within that that's where people start to take that action it's when it feels too far away or like oh this dream is it, it's just a dream like I can't actually take action and get there that's where you lose people along the way but I feel like the more you kind of bring it down to earth and just relate to people it's like hey you can do this if you do x y and z or if you make action. So I love that. And you actually said something to me uh, on a previous conversation that I wanted to touch on a little bit when we were talking about this podcast and business and all that type of stuff. And you're like, I just don't want you to lose your love for the podcast based on the actual business stuff. I want you to elaborate a little bit on that from your experience when you do go after something that you're passionate about, not losing that fire because of things you have to do that aren't just the outcome. It's, I've seen this over and over again with both clients and colleagues, the burnout. Yeah. And specifically one comes to mind 
probably the most brilliant videographer that I've ever met or worked with. I won't mention their name, obviously, yeah. but, uh, you know, met them when they were kind of budding and just, you know, the the moon rose and set in, in the industry that they wanted to be in, which was production and storytelling through a lens and video production. And I would have conversations with this person over and over again and tell them, whatever you do, don't let the business side of this affect your creative, you know, juices, mm -hmm. because it's going to start being reflected in the work that you produce. And, and I, I could kind of foresee what was going to happen because this person was, was very much getting kind of lost in the scope of trying to navigate how do I pay my bills, but at the same time create, you know, these, these beautiful documentaries, which is what they were. And I don't have an answer for that. Right. Yeah. Um, all I can tell you is, you know, don't miss the forest for the trees in a way of if this is what if, if your passion for telling stories uh, in, in a digital way is what brought you into that space, whatever you have to do to protect yourself, do that. Right. Yeah. Never lose the, the passion or the drive. And it happens so often it's like the donut maker, right? Like I was, I think I told yeah. you this in a previous conversation as well. If you're really good at making donuts, make donuts and find people around you yeah. to do the development, to do the advertising, to do the marketing, the public relations, get you in front of the people that you need to know. You're don't do your own taxes, you know, don't fight your own lawsuits. Like the case is, if you're a really good donut maker, yeah. get up every day and make good donuts. That's it. Too many times. And this is really a lesson kind of in, in general, for entrepreneurs, you're never going to be able to do it all. I yeah. see these reels on Instagram right now where it's, you know, to the beat of some music and it's like the voiceover saying, so what is it that you do? And then it's kind of like a pause and it's like, then all of a sudden, like 20 different job roles comes up around their head. Yeah, That may be the immediate reality for people going into entrepreneurship. But the moment that you can onboard other people that are professionals in their mm -hmm. own industry around you, do it because you will very quickly lose interest in what brought you into that <clears throat> that space to begin with right yeah it's so true and i see people that are in positions that they can financially afford to hire external things but they want to control it because it's their oh. baby and i'm like no that's not the way it works you have to let people that are good in mm -hmm. their own industries handle those parts of your business so you can maintain the love and passion for it I've taken that advice very literally. I thought I was a control freak, but now even with the ideas that I have, I'm like, I'm the first one. I already had an accountant before I started making any money. I'm like, I already did. Like, I felt like I was already networking in a way and maybe I was doing it like subconsciously, but I was the first because it also takes away from the end product. Like you said, with a donut, if you're trying to do other things, it's taking away from what's actually making you money. Mm -hmm. And if you can just focus on that thing that's that you're really good at and you know you're good at and it's kind of like this with the podcast like I I know what I'm good at and I try I try, I can do everything but like even with them editing reels or like mm -hmm. having a studio people have asked me like why do you come in a studio I'm like because it would take me too much time to figure mm -hmm. out all of these external things and it's just a waste of time mm -hmm. it's a waste of energy and then I'm gonna get frustrated because I'm not gonna want to do it because I don't know what I'm doing so it's just recognizing and kind of back to the very beginning of like self-journey like what what do you know that you're good at and how can you 
in a financially obviously responsible way mm-hmm. get rid of this stuff that's not in alignment with where you want to go or the things that you want to do each and every day. Yeah, and really define the space to not overthink. I, I think that during our previous conversation, you know, I left that meeting thinking about some things that you had said as well, and I was like, I think that she's she's overthinking Shocking. even her own approach, right? Yeah. To what we're doing, because I said, Aaron, it's not about, you know, production of everything. Yeah. The people are going to, they're drawn to you. Even before I knew you, I said, she's an incredible interviewer because her questions are kind of on point and not done in, in an over, you know, produced way. But I said, let them see the inside of your life. Let them see what it looks like to actually go from mm-hmm. the beginning and the end and of, of creating a podcast and how do you get your guests and all of that. It, it's about simplifying the process and realizing that a lot of times it's right in front of you. Uh, you just yeah. need to, to, you know, you need to include those things because that's what they're really wanting to to see in the first place. Right. And I'm, I've been watching. So mm. I, I see that you're taking some of my advice, at least, because I'm seeing your reels and your stories yeah. and they're, they're, you know, it's more about you. Yeah. Right. And less focused on the process. The biggest thing that I've learned through that is there's certain times that you can hear certain advice and someone can tell you something, but if you're not necessarily ready to hear it, and I, I knew what you were saying in my explanation back to you, I think I just wasn't at a point where I knew if this is what I wanted to do, but I finally got to this place where I was like, this is what I knew I was good at it. Like you said, I was ready to take it to the next step, but I knew the sacrifices that were going to come with it. Mm-hmm. And for someone like me, and this is a good learning lesson, like I've always been a very private person and I had to kind of toggle this in my brain of when you have a public platform, it's just different. And I don't think people recognize that. It's kind of like when people I want to make all this money. I want to do, I'm like, you don't realize the social responsibility that you have. You don't realize the power in your voice. You don't realize the impact that you're having on other people. I was very fortunate. I grew up around, I was in a good neighborhood and my parents had access to, you know, some professional athletes. Like I, I was in, you know, white privilege as some people call it. Mm-hmm. But what I learned from that is your words go farther, your impact has more. And so I had to come to a place within myself of like, am I ready to be that type of person? Am I ready? And I I think I did on the reverse because you see a lot of influencers that have mental health issues and they dive into this role. And I learn from their mistakes because I'm like, I don't want to go down a path that I'm not emotionally ready for Mm -hmm. because then I'm the one that's going to be taking the hit. And so I think it's a good question to ask yourself. And I'm not saying that as an excuse, but it was like an honest conversation that I had to have with myself. And you were the last reassurance or affirmation, if you will, to know that that's where I needed to go. But I already, I feel like I knew, and you're right. I was overthinking it because I was overthinking the impact. And a lot of it was Mm fear-based. Like I was fearful of, you know, you want to impact people in a positive way. Right. And I felt like I needed to be at a place in my life where I could give that to people mm-hmm. in a productive way and where I felt like my words could impact you productively. I also think a lot of it had to do with kind of 2020. There was a lot of just hate I felt like on social media. I didn't feel like it was a productive place and I didn't want to enter into that market. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm like, okay, now I know what to do. I'm maybe not the the best. I don't want to put that, but like I'm trying to get better at social media. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it was a situation. I'll ask you this. Like, I'll turn the channel and, yeah. and, and interview you for a second. So what was it with that meeting that really caused you to maybe 
make some of those changes. And and I ask this because a lot of times it's there's there's something that shifts inside of you, yeah. right? So was it that and this again speaks to entrepreneurship because you have to trust people that have been down that road before. Yeah. And so you knew going into that meeting that I had, you know, walked a number of clients to success by different ways. So when I'm sitting there telling, and I'm not a yes man either, right? Yeah. So I was like, Aaron, this isn't working or Aaron, this yeah. is something I would really encourage you to do because I see something inside of you. And yeah. these are steps that I would just, you know, I'm giving you advice to take. So I maybe, you know, what I'm asking is, or, or what maybe that you could tell, you know, people that, that approach you is listen to people that have done things before. Mm -hmm. uh, what I have seen in some cases is, you know, people that have come to me and said, this is really what I want to do. And I'm like, okay, these are probably some things that you might. And they're like, no, I want to do it this way. And I'm like, then why are you asking, asking. me? Because th they're so hard headed, mm -hmm. right? You have to be very vulnerable. Entrepreneurs have to be vulnerable and humble, yeah. right? Because you're going to learn so much more if you... Say, maybe I've never thought about it that way before, right? And this person has clearly done it before. So yeah. maybe I should find equal parts of this is the way I want to do it, but this may be something that I need to add into the mix because it's clearly worked for other people. And I do see this a lot, a lot of really bullheaded kind of people. They've had, you know, I don't want to call them like one hit wonders, but they've had some sort mm -hmm. of success in an avenue. And I see this a lot with reality TV where they come to us and they're like, we want to, you know, I want to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to be on a show and, you know, it's starting to air in six months or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, these are the things that, you know, you kind of need to line up yeah, because yeah. you're one of about 600 people that will be first introduced on reality television this year and the season. And they're like, no, 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 I, I just want to, you know, do, and I'm like, I already know what's going to happen because yeah. they don't take the advice. Like you have to think of it in different terms of just you know, you're going to be on TV. That's great. You know, congratulations. And so many other people are going to be as well. You know, I'm going to circle, circle back to your first question, because for anyone out there listening, it ties back to what you initially said of why you started your business. It was a gut instinct. So I kind of knew what I was walking into. I'm also someone, and I learned this through yoga. You can give me a lot of advice, but I also know what resonates and what doesn't. So mm -hmm. like there was a lot of things that you said that I executed on almost instantaneously. And there were some things that I was like, eh, I don't know if that's landing with me right now, yeah. but you also have to trust someone that's kind of been there and done that before. I also think you simplified, like I was overthinking. I thought I had to be this huge thing when really it was right in front of me. And so that's something that I've noticed about myself. And even a girl, actually, it's funny that you said that. She said that the other day. She's like, you're looking at all these external things. It's right here. Yeah. And as much as I talk about going inwards, that's why, because we're always looking outwards for answers yeah. or for people to tell you what to do. And in reality, it's like, it's really inside of you. And I think it was just like an affirmation of something that I knew I already needed to do. And I did trust you because you weren't telling me what I wanted to hear. And it's, I do this subconsciously, but sometimes I do it purposely. Like I'll put people in situations to see if what you're telling me is what I want to hear, if it's actually truthful to right. who you are. And I, this is bad, but I do this in dating. Like it's a good way to kind of weed out and the producer here will talk. Like I'm no BS. I've always been like that. Mm -hmm. Like weed out the BS. Like if you're here to just like hype me up and tell me that I'm great, it's not going to work because A, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. And be like, how can I get to where I want to go? So yep. I feel like that's kind of why. And 
for anyone that's like looking for advice from everyone, I always say like take people's advice only if it resonates with you mm-hmm. because you don't have to listen to everything that they're going to say because right. how you built yours is very different how I'm going to do my thing. Right. But there was a lot of things that you said in there that I was like, okay, these are a, kind of across the board. Like you need a lawyer or you need to do this mm-hmm. basic things that I knew. And then a lot of like content ideas that I was like, what's the kind of what you said, what's the worst case scenario? No one likes it. It's like, okay, I can go back to what I was doing before. Absolutely. It's, it's like grocery shopping. Yeah. Like it, what I hope is that you and anyone listening to this podcast that is kind of on that entrepreneurial, you know, journey, you're in the grocery store and it's like, I'm in, I'm in the meat aisle. And you're going to take a little bit of that and go, I liked the advice that he had. And then you're walking mm-hmm. down, you know, the cereal aisle and you've met someone else who has some really good advice because they've experienced that on their journey. Right. And you get to the checkout and it's like you've got a whole basket full of ideas and other people's successes. And you're going to be able to pick and choose and maybe make your own success soup, so to speak, you yeah. know, based on, on the things that you've collected along the way. Listen, I do that as well. I mean, I have other people that tell me you're crazy for doing this or you've. I'm surprised that that even works. And I'm like, yeah, because you, you have to, you know, you got to follow your gut. Like you said, follow your instinct, but be open to other people's ideas, you know, trusted people and their ideas. That's important to say, because not everybody is going to be happy for you or your success. Right. And that's how you kind of know, is you can tell if someone is genuine about the advice, like you didn't have, any like you don't have any stake in the game like you weren't you're not representing me correct like you had no stake in the game so it's like you're what if you're telling me this stuff and I knew it wasn't to fail like I had heard it before I've seen it so I knew what you were telling me was with good intention and so that's why I was like okay it would be on me to not do it and then I'm the only one hurting so I might as well give it a try and then what's one piece of advice that you would give someone that's looking to create content to stand out within a quote-unquote saturated space. You can do like Instagram, TikTok, whatever your key mm-hmm. to success is. That's good. That's a good question, Aaron. Probably as, as simple as this is going to sound, do it your own way. I see <clears throat> the entire essence of TikTok is based on recreation, right? You see something and then you use that sound and you do it your own, you know. But what I would say is don't be don't be someone else's, you know, idea be your own idea right we do this in our own lives like you know we just want to be accepted so we or you know we 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 see something that works and then we're like okay let me recreate that and i would say the biggest influencers that are on tiktok now were the ones that said i'm gonna do this my way and and it's it lands with people right because they were uh, adventurous or ambitious or audacious enough to do something that maybe hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid to, as crazy as it sounds, the, the, I think that the people across all the social media platforms that do the best are the ones that are the most organic, open, and transparent with mm-hmm. what they do and why they're doing it, uh, which is why you don't see overly produced stuff on TikTok do well. Yeah, It doesn't ever go viral. The things that go viral are organic moments conversations this is me speaking directly to you yeah and that's what i would say like don't Mm -hmm. don't study 10 other you know tiktokers and go okay i think maybe i can be like them don't be any of them yeah be Be yourself Mm -hmm. you know um and don't try to put on a a show that's not what it's about it's about 
uh, again, like I said earlier, people are going to fall in love with you, you. for who you are. Uh, there's always somebody out there that is going to go look, be able to look at you and what you're producing and go, that's almost like a reflection of who I am. Yeah. Right. We look at the the big ones and think, oh, my God, I have to be as pretty as she is or as smart as he is or as, you know, no, mm -mm. the vast majority of people out there don't even have images on their TikToks, yeah. no bio, bio and are not producing themselves. They're looking for people just like you and I. Yeah. Right. That are bold enough to go out there and say, I'm going to put myself on, even if I look ridiculous, yeah. you know, because somebody out there is going to like who I am. I've done crazy stuff on TikTok. Yeah. The things that get the most views are things that I haven't really thought about. It's just kind of candid moments yeah. that have happened. And I'm like, I should probably lean into that more myself. But, yeah. you know, when you're taking care of a gazillion clients yourself, you rarely have time to. You, know, you do. You're about. you're good at it. Where can people find you? As I'm hyping up all your TikToks, give us all of your. Where can people find you if they need someone that's in PR sure. or pimp yourself out? I will just. I'll give two really simple ones. So if you want to see the fun side of Waylon, that's <laughs> going to be on TikTok at the Gay Publicist. And if you're wanting kind of the more real good thought leadership kind of stuff, that would be at J underscore Waylon W A Y L O N. On Instagram. On Instagram. Okay. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And then do you have a, I can all, I always say this, but I'm going to put it all in the show notes and he, where you can find him if you need to contact him for any business inquiries, if you need a PR mm -hmm. person. And the last question that I ask everyone yes. is, Waylon, what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful today for the lessons that have been the hardest. Ooh. It's so hard when you're going through some really difficult stuff. And we, we I just came out of like some pretty difficult things professionally. Yeah. And, and you know, like when you're in the moment, you're like, this can't be happening to me, right? Yeah. Like I'm not having to go through this. But when you get through to the other side, it's like every one of those moments, like it, it's almost like building a protective mm -hmm. layer, right? And I was thinking about this this morning that the my my biggest successes have always come after my worst yep. failures. And I think it's because, you know, there's that time in between those two events that you're able to reflect and go, I'm not dead. You know, it didn't kill me. Yeah. And and it kind of re -ener, you know, like re-energizes you in so many ways. But like seriously, like the the biggest accounts that I've landed have come after I had to make really hard decisions about firing a client or you know, something tragic happening to a client and, and having to navigate that. Cause look, I am pretty good at crisis communications. Let me yeah. just say yeah. I've, I've done some fixing in my time, but yeah, today I woke up and I was grateful for the bad things that have recently happened to me because it, it, you know, you can't be caught static in the bliss of what you do always, yeah. you know, at some point you will fall. Right. And be ready for those moments to embrace it, understand it, learn from it, gain from it. And it's it's going to help you, you know, in the next step on your journey. It's funny that you said that because this week has been the the light that I finally found in losing my job. So it's so funny how the things and that's what I'm grateful for. It's just the relationships in this podcast. Every single conversation hits differently at the right time or someone says something to me that lands or I meet someone new and I feel like it's just such an incredible experience that if you would have asked me when I started this two years ago I would have thought you know I want to make money or I want to do this but now I'm like I cannot put a price tag on the relationships and the people that I've met because I would literally not be here today without them so thank you so much for being on thank you for having this me so I fun. appreciate it yes and we went way over sorry oh that's okay